Success is about more than just business strategies. It's also about aligning with your higher purpose and clearing inner obstacles that stand in the way. I say this because you deserve to do what you love and to feel fulfilled along the way. And the reality is you're likely spending more time than you'd like to stuck in self-doubt. You may be asking yourself things like, why do I never seem to reach my biggest goals no matter how hard I work? Or why do I never quite feel like I've done enough, have enough, or am enough? If any of these sound familiar, you are not alone. And I've been there too. The good news is that the solution is simpler than you think. I'm sharing it inside my new four-day women's immersion, The Inner Critic Cure. This live four-day event includes daily classes, potent practices, and a brilliant supportive community of like-minded women. And best of all, it's only $37. This method is gentle yet powerful, and it actually works even when others haven't because it's based on a proven psychotherapeutic framework called Internal Family Systems or IFS. By the time you leave, you'll have the knowledge and tools to not only heal your relationship with those harsh inner voices, but to turn them into your strongest allies now and for the rest of your life. So join us to discover how to put an end to those negative voices that have held you back from your biggest dreams and desires. So you can live into the full potential you know is possible for you in both your business and in your life. You can learn more and join us inside the Inner Critic Cure at programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. That's programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. I'd love to see you there. Hi, I'm Sarah Avon Stover, host of Truth, Love, and Beauty. I'm an author, internal family systems practitioner, and teacher of women's yoga, meditation, and spirituality, who's built a long career since the early 2000s to be exact in supporting women to cultivate greater psycho-spiritual wholeness and, in turn, to come home to themselves. My dedication to women and to the upliftment of the feminine at large has been a lifelong one. From growing up as the second oldest of four sisters in a Connecticut suburb of New York City, to studying at an Ivy League all-women's college, all the way up to today. And the very things I support women with mirror the struggles that I've had, things like doubting, pushing, perfecting, hating, and yes, at times, even hurting myself. Yet I've found, and I have a sense that because you're here, you have too, that these very wounds and pain points can become openings for profound healing, growth, and spiritual insight. I created this podcast in service of honoring just this, this sacred healing journey that we women are on. It was born out of my own desire to hear Dharma talks, which are what the Buddhist tradition calls wisdom teachings, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Here, I'll share these very talks, along with rich conversations with leading thinkers and luminaries about all facets of the feminine spiritual journey. Plus, this podcast highlights three of the core values we must embrace on the feminine path, truth, love, and beauty. 
values which we all need more of during this tumultuous time in history. I'm so happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, friends. It's good to be back here with you. Spring is finally here in Boulder. It feels like it's gotten a late start this year. And some of my favorite flowers, the lilacs are in bloom. My lawn was cut for the first time this year. And more water is flowing in the creek that I walk along most days. And honestly, with so much uncertainty right now, just the turning of the seasons feels reassuring just to know that some things are predictable. And I hope that you're finding the resources that you need to continue to navigate these times, both personally and globally. And my intention is that today's conversation will be one such resource for you. Uh, A little bit of a bigger picture um, here. Over the next couple of months, I'm going to be offering a focus on internal family systems, or IFS, here on the podcast. For those of you who do not know, IFS is a cutting-edge psychotherapeutic model that is sweeping the world. And more than being a very effective, gentle, and transformative model of therapy that's been both life-changing for me and my clients, it's also a paradigm of living. IFS gives us the tools and the framework that we need to shift from living a fear-led life to living an inspiration-led life. And who doesn't want more of that? I know that I do. And I know that IFS has helped me and continues to help me to do that. So this month and next month's interviews will feature some leaders in the IFS community. And if you haven't heard it already, I interviewed another such leader, Mary Kruger, who specializes in using IFS for healing eating disorders and addictions. And I did that interview last year. You can find it in episode 78. And now as the first of this two-part series, I'm welcoming Chris Burris, an IFS senior lead trainer. Chris and I speak about the IFS model at large and more specifically how to transform more extreme parts of ourselves like our inner critics and perfectionists and how to shift those into allies rather than going to war with them. And I know that for for us women, for the women that I work with, this is a really big issue. So I'm hoping that what Chris shares today will be illuminating and supportive for you. Towards the end, he also leads us through an IFS meditation to help us get more in touch with these parts and other parts of ourselves that maybe just at the surface right now needing support. So tune in towards the end to just experience the benefits of that meditation. So a little bit about Chris. Chris has been a psychotherapist since 1989, working with diverse populations in community agencies, intensive residential centers, institutions of higher learning, and in private practice. He began training in the internal family systems model in 1999 and is currently a senior lead trainer for the Internal Family Systems Institute, where he teaches level one level two, and level three trainings, 
and serves as a trainer and mentor for new IFS training staff. Much of his career has been devoted to providing training and supervision for psychotherapists who specialize in treating trauma. Chris has a passion for making the IFS model culturally engaged and accessible for people of the global majority. He has a reputation for being an open-hearted, caring, and innovative trainer. He currently lives in Asheville, North Carolina with his wife, Dina, and their daughters. And I can attest that it's true. Chris's reputation holds that he is a very open-hearted, caring, and innovative trainer and human being. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Chris Burris. All right. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here. And we always start our conversations with a personal check-in. So I'd love for you to share with us where you're joining us from today and just how you're doing at the levels of body, heart, and mind. Mm. Yeah, I'm uh, joining you from Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I live in a beautiful uh, Smoky Mountains here. I've uh, been here probably about eight years. And so, uh, yeah, I feel quite fortunate and privileged to be um, so close to nature and be able to to live in you know one of the most beautiful areas of North Carolina. So I'm native to North Carolina. I grew up here and I lived in Colorado and Korea for a while and sort of came back um, 20 some years ago and I've stayed in uh, the, the sort of the area I grew up in. Nice. Where where were you in Colorado? That's I'm in Colorado. Yeah, I lived in Denver. Um, my wife went to DU uh, for her graduate work and. So we were there for her graduate work, and I lived um, in Inglewood, not too far from uh, DU. And um, yeah, I loved being in Colorado. And, uh, miss it. I, I got to go back and visit and do some skiing this year, so it was nice to go back and visit. Great, and there's a lot of crossover between here and in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I miss sort of the green trees, and um, you know that especially the winters here still are a bit green. So I, uh, yeah. I, yeah. And the, the, the climate's a little bit more mild sometimes. So. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how are you doing at the levels of body part and body, body, heart and mind today? Uh, yeah, I feel really great. I really excited. Um, uh, you know, I, I turned um, 57 just a couple of weeks ago and, uh, so I, I sort of didn't imagine this stage of my life being as good as it is. And I get to spend a lot more time mentoring other trainers and have been able to work with uh, Black Therapist Rock for the past four years and mentoring um, people of color and, and uh, BIPOC folks that become trainers and more and more um, having more trainers um, of color and in the community and being able to offer those to their clients. So yeah, I feel really blessed to be working in uh, areas that are close to my heart and mentoring other trainers. So yeah, I feel really great. I feel really fortunate. Well, my daughter's happy, coming home from birthday. college. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, my daughter's coming home from college. She's finished her first year at Carolina. And so we've got some adventures planned uh, for the summer. So yeah, I'm very excited. Right, and I appreciate all that you're doing for the the BIPOC community and IFS and 
Um, Crystal Jones is uh, coming on the podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm actually interviewing her after this, but she'll air oh. in a month. Crystal's yeah. a very wonderful um, trainer and um, addition to the trainer community. So, um, yeah, this is fantastic to have her on the show. And so this would be a good segue just to talk more about IFS. And um, this audience has heard me speak about it before, but for anyone who's just joining us for the first time, I'm wondering if you can just give us just a, like a short synopsis of of what IFS or internal family systems is. Yeah, so, um, so I think it's a, a way of navigating um, our internal system and due to various issues, trauma or just sort of growing up in our culture, we develop these ways of protecting ourselves and um, and they become quite elaborate in, uh, in having strategies and feelings and ideas. And, um, and so that's kind of what we call parts. And these parts that really form ways of protecting ourselves um, tend to be more fear-based. And, um, and due to that, they block more of our core essence, our core self. And uh, so the more trauma that we kind of endure, the more elaborate our protective uh, system has to become to survive. And so we, as a, as a byproduct of that, we begin to lose, you know, touch with our core nature. Um, and so IFS is a, a way of alleviating uh, those parts of ourselves that are uh, focused on survival and, and helping uh, update those parts and come more into the present um, and also relinquishing um, what we call our core self, our ability to be compassionate and connected. We relinquish the, that constraint of ourself. Uh, so there's more um, of the ability to be present in the moment and to be connected and uh, have compassion for ourselves and others. So I think that's the emergence of that sense of a, a self is one of the reasons I think the IFS has become such a, um, a popular model is it not only heals trauma, but we, it helps the, our, our self be more engaged and more the leader uh, of our, of our life. Yeah. I've heard you talk about how it's not just a therapeutic model, but it's really a paradigm for living. Yeah. 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 I think it, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think it, it it's a way of nav helping us navigate like who's who's driving the the bus so to speak you know who's driving our system and um and so ultimately therapy should help us be more in touch with our core self driving our system i think that's what most people look for when they go to therapy is is the ability to navigate their life uh, in more clear and um intentional ways um, so not only is it kind of help with that, but it also helps us feel deeply more connected to nature or spirituality or a sense of um, connectedness to something greater than ourself, however that shows up for people. And when and how and why did you first get involved with IFS? Um, <clears throat> I was at, um, so I, I became a therapist about 25. I think my, my aunt, who was my fifth grade teacher, you know, told me that if I could just do everything orally and speak to people that I would be just fine. So um, it kind of began the path I took and talking to people, you know, counseling was a really good way to, to 
do things verbally and um and what greater way to to make a living than be able to sit and talk to people all day which is kind of what i love to do anyway um so i'd already been a therapist for about 10 years i was studying with david kaloff uh david's uh, um a parts um expert and he and dick were friends early on and um so i've been studying with david for about 10 years um and i was i was very interested so when dick book dick's book came out on internal family system it was very much in alignment of what i'd already been studying um but it that had sort of a way of really helping the self emerge more fully, which is something I um, I was at the evolution and psychotherapy conference. I was watching a man named Irvin Pulser, who was a Gestalt expert at the time, did these beautiful sessions where he would sit and talk to people and it felt like their core essence just emerged on stage. And I remember following him around the entire conference going, how does he do that? You know, I, like I have to know how to do that. It was some of the most beautiful work I'd ever seen. So then when I met Dick and um, saw his first demo, it was very similar to what Irvin was doing. It's really inviting our, our essence to come forward. And, um, you know, and I was like, that's what actually psychotherapy is supposed to be, not sort of getting us more in touch with our neuroses, but helping us emerge more fully into our, our sort of core essence. Um, so, so when I, you know, the combination of, seeing Irvin and then seeing Dick's work, I was, I was sold that this was really the, the, the path of what I wanted to do with folks as a psychotherapist. And what, like, how has this work impacted you personally since that time? Like what, what, what are some of the, the, the bigger shifts that you've noticed in yourself? Um, you know, I, I think I was a, pretty serious guy you know when I my my mother was sick when I was a kid um and you know so I kind of became a parentified child had dyslexia so I had to work really hard in school to um to to make a grades the the option for me was to be a bricklayer or a pastor you know those are my two options so I, I I kind of found a middle ground but um you know, I, I was a pretty serious guy, you know, and um, kind of uptight when I first became a therapist. Um, you know, I was probably kind of burned out within the first three or four years. Um, and um, so I didn't know kind of how to relax very well and um, and have fun. And um, so it's really relaxed a lot of my anxiety and seriousness and I um, learned to play a lot more and enjoy life and um, uh, enjoy being with people. A lot of my shyness is, is relaxed and my fear of other people is relaxed. So, um, and also I had a lot of my own trauma that uh, growing up with a mom that was pretty, pretty ill at a very young age and had a lot of um, emotional troubles because of that. And, uh, you know, a dad that was a bit loving and kind, but kind of checked out. So um, I had my own traumas to work out as well. So um, and it's helped me a lot in my own marital relationship to feel connected and present. So yeah, I've done a lot of my own internal work to kind of heal from those early traumas. Yeah, I would never like, you know, I'm just meeting you for the first time, but I've also just experienced your video teachings, but I would never say that you were, you, you never would come across as a serious person to me. Yeah. You know, an overly a, serious a, person. 
<laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that's a, a testament to the work. You know, I think one of my close friends once said, you know, do you read anything besides psychotherapy books? Like, do you do anything else besides study and read psychotherapy books? Like, you need to read a, a, a my friend got me into reading fantasy novels, you know, and uh, science fiction. So, um, so yeah, it's been a lot of work to get less serious you know, mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a big area of focus for you um, is the inner critic. And I've heard wonderful things about the critic camp that you that you lead. And mm. I'm wondering if you can tell us more about like what is the critic camp and can what is the inner critic from the, the IFS perspective? Well, I I think that and this is one of the kind of notes that you sent me per beforehand but I think I think I was watching a lot of what you sort of describe a mainstream you know psychology of, of trying to get rid of something trying to spell something and like tame the inner critic you know how to defeat your inner critic um, and I, I begin to noticing that the inner critic tends to be kind of characterized as a special type of part and and um, so I you know as I was witnessing a lot of things that really didn't fit with my own experience of my own internal critic, but also as I'm working with other clients, I, I think there's a lot of myths in our society that doesn't really help us very much in working with it, that it somehow it, we turn it into some type of specialized part. Um, and so it's kind of seeing that and tracking my own work of my own critic and my own clients. Um, you know, I, the way I see it is it's really a protector is that just like every other part, it tends to be a protector that has a major role, major function. And, but it learned a harsh way to protect us and fear is a major motivator. So, you know, if we're afraid of failing, like I, I think I got through graduate school with a fear of failing and fear of being, having to go back and live where I grew up and lay bricks. So fear is a major motivator. It's very loud, very persistent um, and and their inner critic has finds a way of tapping into that motivation to drive us towards not being weak or not fear of failing or fear of being rejected or abandoned or unloved you know so it, it taps into that motivation to kind of drive us um, and you know and that works and when I, I worked a lot with artists, and especially with stage fright, I was on the faculty of the drama faculty at North Carolina School of the Arts, and for was was for stage fright. You know, this this fear would drive the students to stay up all night to, to remember their lines or to act or to you know they they would stay in the music studio for eight hours. You know, this fear of failing would drive them, but then their system would break down when they got on stage. Um, so. The critics, uh, you know, so the critic becomes a major sort of driver, a major player, but it uses a harsh way to do that. Um, and so I see it as a ten, as any other any other part. It just has a a, a different strategy, and um, and one that um, is pretty persistent and uh, dominant in our system. And most of the most of the people who listen to this are women. Not all, but most are women. And you know that this is just a common, um, a common problem that women come to in my in my practice, yeah. and so I think hearing this can help reframe that. That it's a protector and it's 
it's driving us through fear. Yeah. And what are, so given this, like, what are some ways to um, work with the inner critic or to maybe just to, to get it to be more of an ally? Yeah. Um, well, I think the inner critic works really hard to do by yourself. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's really hard to befriend a part of us that's being mean to us. It's, you know, it's like, you know, it's sometimes they even feel like a bully. So it's, it's hard to kind of get warm and cuddly to a bully, you know, in our system, you know, so it's really hard to do by yourself. One of the things I teach in critic camp is for therapists to have the capacity to interact directly with the, with the critic, what we call direct access, you know, and a lot of times it does kind of take, um, a therapist, a skilled therapist to, to be again, to interact with that part, to find out what it's afraid of specifically, um, how it learned to do this way of protecting. Um, the couple of questions I ask is, you know, who does it mimic? You know, my own inner, inner critic, when I was working with it, it kind of mimicked my football coach and, um, you know, and uh, sounded a lot like Fred and, you know, it was my football coach's name and acted like Fred. And when I began to get to know the part, I'm like, why are you acting like Fred? You know, like, like nobody, I didn't even like my football coach very much. Like, you know, why? He, well, that, that, that man got you to be successful. He got you to, to work hard. He got you to be disciplined. He got you to be successful, you know, and, um, and that's what I'm here about, you know, so it was mimicking someone that kind of helped me be successful in certain ways. Um, but kind of took on this gruff, you know, no stop, no nonsense, you know, kind of approach. So I think we, um, so it kind of helps to learn more about the inner critic, what it's afraid of, what its motivation is, um, and then often whose whose energy or um, style of trying to motivate us, you know, where did it pick up this way of doing it? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's for these more deeply entrenched parts or more extreme parts. We need we need someone else to help to hold the space. And like you're saying, with direct access, like to have the therapist be able to speak directly to that part just to help to create some more space between the client and the part. Yeah. 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 And also to kind of help us see it as um, kind of more, it's meant to be more than than uh, just a, a you know a, a negative attribute in our system that the the critics often want us to be what we're capable of being uh, they kind of I think one of the ways they form is that developmentally at a certain age we, we we see the discrepancy between how we are and how what's possible you know and that discrepancy at a young age is hard to hard to navigate that discrepancy so we take on this 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 fearful drive to try to navigate that gap that we see, and there's always a gap between how we actually are and actually what our potential is. It's you know naturally there, um, but this the part comes along to trying to help us close that gap between our ideal self and our actual self. Yeah, I think that's helpful to highlight highlight the gifts of of a part that can seem challenging and just like like you were saying with your critic part, how it took on the voice of your, um, the voice of your football coach who was really just propelling you towards greater excellence. Like there's a lot of, 
benefit in that. And I'm sure that that has helped that helped you not just with your football, but through other areas of your life too. And the same is true for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, quitting and giving up wasn't an option, you know, so, um, you know, it's, um, so that, so it did help in those moments where, you know, I felt like giving up or I felt like something was too hard. Um, Yeah. And so as we go deeper into the process with support of getting to know the inner critic, getting to know, you know, how, how it learned to do this, who it's mimicking, um, what is protecting, what, what is the possibility for the critic to kind of evolve into or to transform into over time? Yeah, I think the potential is um, that the critic can form into a, a really empowering advisor. Um, you know, because um, I think I think we have certain parts are kind of the major players in our system. You know, and because that critic is noticing the discrepancies, you know, ideally, you know, where we can be and what what we can achieve, it can be a major advisor in kind of helping us, you know, um, recognize that, formulate a a plan of growth um, and be an advisor. And and I think it's also, we need certain parts that kind of tell us the truth about things um, and, and help us when we're, when other parts have us deviating from our own sense of um, integrity, you know, so it, it has a lot of potential to be an inner advisor and inner consultant. Um, and the motivation of the critic is to be more effective. So the harshness, even though it's effective in, initially over time, it's counterproductive. So there's a motivation for the critic to be effective. Um, so there's a lot of potential in that part being a really inner, inner advisor and, and kind of helping us, you know, navigate these these um, these areas where there is discrepancy of where we currently are and where we can't be. Um, mm-hmm. It just has to learn to not do it in a harsh way. The other ways are more empowering. So it's like a, it can become an inner ally for, um, you know, it's closing that gap. Yeah. Between yeah. who we are and who we want to be or how we're showing up and how we want to show up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think so. Developing this relationship to the part, once we can kind of get a little space from it and kind of, you know, help it not be so harsh, we can begin to develop this relationship with it, where the part itself can learn how effective um, and empowering way of encouraging us can be. Yeah, and can you speak about perfectionism as well? Because I know it can be similar um, part. Um, related part to the inner critic. And I know that's a, a common one as well. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know what the motivation is. I have, have daughters and, and I notice perfectionism in them at times. Um, you know, the, the, the drive to be good, um, the fear of not being good, um, the fear of not being liked or having someone being angry at them. Um you know, one thing I say to my daughter when they were young is like, you know, try to get in a little trouble today. Don't don't be so good, you know, and they would kind of roll their eyes like, yeah, right, dad, you know. Um, so I, I don't know what that drive is, but I, I know it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of perfectionism, perfectionism in our society around how you look and how you're perceived and how, um, 
you know, what type of car you drive and, you know, and, uh, and so there's a lot of drive and I think it gets attached to survival that we just, if we're not perfect in some ways, we won't be loved. And I think the biggest fear for human beings is to be rejected and unloved, you know, so there's, there's a attachment to, um, to surviving and being loved and cared about um, and being of something of, of value that gets attached to perfectionism. Um, and then I think it kind of takes on a life of its own because um, there's always a there's always a discrepancy um, between um, our ideal self and you know kind of being human, you know, and that somehow that part develops a really keen eye on that discrepancy. It's you know how we how we look or how we speak or our body image or you know or you know. Um, how we're perceived by others. So there's plenty of ammunition for that part to load up with to, you know, to kind of come at us. Uh, there's plenty of discrepancies around just being human that I think people are trying to navigate. Yeah. And kind of the more healed, evolved version of the perfectionist, is that is that similar as the inner critic? Just kind of more of this advisor role? Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it. I think it has an, an advisor role. I think uh, I think it's important that we can imagine what's possible, um, you know, because I think there's a drive for us to um, to to kind of meet what our potential is, or you know, and so that there's a natural drive for that. Um, so I think it can can definitely be helped with that. Um, I think there is a lot of work in some of our younger parts that have embodied perfectionism embody the belief that our worth is and our lovability is attached to something conditional and depending on kind of how we 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 are um or even not just how we're parented but just in a society that our our worth is something conditional um and so that's a burden that these exiles carry that um that we're not loved just for uh, being a human being that we have to do something of worth and to, to be lovable you know so that, i think that's a a fear and a burden that also drives underneath the perfectionism is the and I think that becomes sort of a survival threat uh, to our system. So, um, so I think there's a lot of healing that has to take place around those early burdens that are carried uh, that uh, that we're not this lovable for just being a human being, right? And just coming to a place of really knowing deep down that we're worthy of love and goodness just because we exist and that we don't yeah. need to, to uphold certain standards just to, to be worthy of that. Right. Yeah. Just for being a human being and, you know, being the offspring of our ancestors. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And so we spoke at the beginning of this conversation about this, this, concept in IFS of self-energy, which brings a new dimension into, into this um, psychotherapeutic model that isn't present in a lot of others. And can you, can you speak more about what, what is self-energy? Um, you know, I think that's a, this one, I, I kind of say this is something people kind of discover themselves, you know, that it's a bit like, you know, it's, it's it, the language will always um, be reductionistic as we describe something as vast as um, 
in some ways the kind of the numinous aspects of our being um you know so given that the language is reductionistic we'll, we'll kind of give it a try but you know we 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 think of it in terms of certain qualities of our being like compassion particularly connectivity calmness uh, courage and we have sort of these eight c's that um, are kind of um indicators of self-energy um yeah, and um, so there's a natural motivation in human beings to feel connected. There's a natural movement of compassion uh, that we have uh, when we see suffering in other people. Oftentimes, we have a greater amount of compassion for other people than we do ourselves. It's easier for us to to maybe feel loving towards our children or um, even my 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 dog that's here keeping us company here. It's easier to feel that warmth or tenderness towards others than to shine it on ourself um so we we tend to have more of the uh, the harsh parts of ourselves that are driving our own system so i i think of in terms of um, open-heartedness of care compassion um tenderness um, creativity imagination uh, inspiration uh, so i track it more in terms of energies within myself and how how is my being sort of in alignment with those energies, uh, and how how are those sort of manifesting, you know, either towards my own, you know, complex system or towards others. Um, so that's how I track it. It's also a receptor for um, imagination and creativity and intuition and uh, you know spontaneity. So it's a receptor for those larger um energies that are kind of you know universal or typical yeah i've heard you say that um that ifs helps us to shift from fear fear fear-based living to um inspiration-based living and that's a really good way to to frame it summarize it yeah and if i you know i started sort of tracking a little bit like how much how much how much during my day is my decisions and choices and engagement circled around a should, which is shoulds tend to be fear-based, you know, or ought to, or I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't, you know, and I, I, you know, for a while I was, you know, felt like like 80% of my day was, you know, if I don't take out the garbage, my wife won't be happy with me. You know, if I, if I don't feed a dog, I'll, I'll feel guilty, you know, so how much these shoulds are really driving um, my choices. Um, and um, as I began to track it more and, uh, and began to shift towards what do I want? What am I inspired towards? What am I, you know, what's the excitement motivation and how am I carrying that through? I could, I began to sort of shift my system to be a little bit more, you know, inspire based and, and am I living towards, you know, kind of what I really want and, um, and inspired towards. And um, so I, I do a lot more art and do a lot. I play a, a lot more games with my friends and, you know, and sit on the deck with my wife a lot more. So, you know, there's a big, big shift that's happened. Yeah. It sounds, sounds really wonderful. Yeah. And with this, with self-energy, I've also heard you say that it, it's developmental and that it's, there's a way that in childhood it's not fully online, but it, it starts to take form more, more, excuse me, more and more throughout our lives. Can you, can you say more about that? 
Well, it's a, it's, it's, and I think, I think there's a lot of self energy that's embodied in children. You know, there's a natural uh, motivation towards connection. Um, there's a natural um, curiosity, um, you know, and, but we also, as we embody it more, we also develop a greater skill towards self-soothing, you know, so, so, you know, so emotions are quite raw for children in the ability to kind of self-regulate. Uh, they need to receive quite a lot of self-regulation and care, you know, in order to self-regulate. So we sort of grow this capacity to uh, manage our emotions, our strong emotions, and strong emotions derive from needs. When needs are not met, it, we naturally feel distress. Um, and so as we sort of grow the ability to be with our distress and also to form strategies to care for our distress, um, you know, in that sense, it kind of grows in the way that it interacts with the system. Um, and the, the more um, we're able to sort of receive that kind of care versus repression, um, as for children, the, the ability to be able, they're able to internalize that and, and have and relate to their own distress in ways that um, is is more caring towards that their stress is there for a reason. They're not distressed because they're being bad or, you know, or being needy. They're distressed because there's a, a need that's really clearly there and there's a distress for a good reason. So how they relate to that is a sense of how I think, you know, the, the capacity of self-energy being integrated in our system um, gets more um, more complete as we as we grow. If we grow in sort of the right sort of community and the right sort of conditions and um, and and what's called you know a caring uh, parenting approach. Yeah. So the more that the more that we mature and are able to hold ourselves in our challenges, our challenging feelings, the more that the self-energy can develop, mature, take hold within us. Yeah, yeah and have, and, and be integrated versus eclipsed. I think that the, as, as we develop our survival step mechanisms, it gets more eclipsed as we, we have to rely more on um, our protective ways of surviving. Have you ever told yourself that you were going to start eating better, meditating, exercising more, or going to sleep earlier, and then not followed through with it? Or have you told yourself that you were going to stop doing something like smoking, drinking, binging, or spending too much time online, but then weren't able to shift your behavior? Or perhaps you've had an inner conversation with yourself where you say, a part of me thinks this, but another part of me wants to do that. Hello, inner wars and self-sabotage. Yeah, well, me too. That's why I'm creating this circle, an IFS women's circle, to be more precise. And this circle will run for six weeks between June and August and is limited to 10 women. The space will allow us to look at ourselves from the perspective that we all have a place inside of us called a self or some traditions call this your Buddha nature or your essence. From this place, we experience different states of being, things like calmness and compassion, confidence and courage. You get the idea, right? 
Well, we also have all kinds of thoughts and feelings and emotions that can totally overwhelm and hijack us. Things like anxiety, depression, anger, loneliness, overdoing, and numbing out. Things that can negatively impact not only ourselves, but also our relationships, even if we don't want them to. So in this IFS Women's Circle, we'll work with these parts of you that can become extreme and overwhelm you. And I can teach you how to help them dial back so you can access more of that self-energy. Would you be interested in joining this kind of circle so you can learn how to feel calmer and not get so overwhelmed by these thoughts and emotions so you can feel more connected to yourself and others? And so you can heal the deeper aspects of yourself that still feel out of reach, even after years of talk therapy and spiritual practice. It turns out group therapy can be just as impactful, if not more, than just getting individual support. So if you'd like to join this IFS Women's Circle, you can learn more and join us at womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash IFS circle. That's womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash IFS circle. The link will also be in the show notes. Registration closes on June 5th, and I welcome you to apply if you would like to join us. And now back to today's conversation. Yeah, I love the analogy of like um, clouds and the blue sky or clouds in the sun that it's uh, IFS is, is a lot of just helping helping us to see the, the clouds in the sky to, to notice, okay, there's clouds here and to help to, to come back to more of that blue sky. Yeah. Yeah. That my, one of my teachers, uh, Stephen Foster would say, um, human beings would be better off if they think of themselves as weather systems, you know, and, um, and that, uh, the, the weather is sort of constantly changing. There's not a, a you know, a, a a dominant way, but how we relate to the weather, how we relate to the cloudiness or the, 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 the fogginess or the, you know, the, the turmoil, you know, how we relate to that is a, is a big uh, indicator of how well we can, how well it regulates and, and can, yeah. you know, we, we can be with what's happening in our emotional system. Yeah. And just as those protective mechanisms start to relax more, there's less judgment and harshness yeah. towards however however we're feeling or whatever we're experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, some days are just stormy days, you know, and but there's not kind of a, you know, I have some days I'm like, I don't even know why today's a stormy day. I just feel more emotional, I feel more vulnerable, I feel more irritable, you know, and it's a bit of an overcast day. And how am I relating to my my system when it's when it is that way and and allows that to to move on through. Yeah. So speaking of that, just your way of connecting with your own parts, do you have a particular um, practice or way that you do that each day? Is there something, something specific um, that you do? You know, I'd love to say that I was like a really dedicated meditation person. or You know, I'd love to say I, you know, I do yoga every day. You know, I, I, um, I did for a while. I had a very dedicated um, meditation practice for a while, and um, 
uh, you know, I primarily play a lot of tennis and, um, you know, in it, um, I get to have a lot of fun and I also kind of get to observe my system in action, you know, so when my heart beats above 114, 100 beats a minute, I'm much more aggressive and, and, uh, my energy is really high, you know, so how do I be calm in a really active state, you know, so I, I observe a lot myself, a lot playing tennis and, um, so the sort of inner game of tennis, um, but I also get to play with my friends and, you know, and be very active. Uh, spend a lot of time in nature and hiking and walking and just sitting. Um, I have a, a hummingbirds that visit me this time of year. So I love to sort of sit out and see the hummingbirds. Um, but I probably in the morning, I do some check-in in the morning around water to water my predominant players in the morning and who's active and, um, and I may spend some time mapping, you know, kind of if I'm distressed, what parts are active and what story do they have? And, um, you know, and parts really create a story and that story really feels real, you know, and um, to be able to sort of unblend from whatever story is being created about myself or other people and be aware of what story I'm telling myself um, is probably one of my major practices is uh, to be aware of that in the morning. And I may do some journaling and mapping I'm very big if you've trained with me you know I, I teach mapping and invite you to do mapping after every meditation so I think being able to track and map our parts and they seeing how they transform and change over time is, is a really valuable tool can you say more about mapping I know it's a big topic but just for those who are hearing that for the first time just what that might look like for them to get started with it yeah I um you know, I, I I do mapping some with my my daughter. Person when she's younger, she has an IFS therapist now, but um, of her own. But a lot of times we do it. We might use. I like to use chalk pastels. I love the um, my iPad and the uh, Procreate app, which my daughter introduced me to. You know, and so we just sort of go inside and focus on whatever it is: a feeling, sensation, thought you know, anything that we notice, something that's troubling us. And then we just inquiry how that wants to be represented on the page. You know, does it want to have a color? Does it want to have a shape, a word, an image? You know, and and then we may just kind of go through um, what's present and how it wants to be represented on the page and trying to relax any, you know, parts of us feel like we got to be a great artist or it's got to look a certain way, but just see, see if we can get it externalized in some way. Um, one of, um, a dear couple that I, I, uh, that I am friends with, um, she has lots of figurines. She's a, um, sand tray, you know, so she will kind of, if they're in an argument, she will take her sand tray figurines and put them on the table, you know, and that represents her parts and her husband will go and find a couple and he'll put his on the parts and, you know, on the table. And so then they let it kind of sit for a little while. You know, and then they go back and talk about what parts, you know, are kind of there on the table that are active in their argument. So anything that kind of helps you externalize um, and get a little bit of space with it, get a little bit of recognition. The, the most difficult thing is to try to name what we're experiencing and to try to, to get a little sense of what it is and what's active and what's got it distressed. And, you know, if we can get to what needs underneath that, then, then it, it helps us befriend it more. So... Uh, but I, I like to, 
use color and uh, image. And um, sometimes I'll use Google images and I'll, you know, if I'm feeling grumpy, I'll look through Google, Google images and see if I can sort of find it. I might type in group, group grumpy at the Google image and see if there's an image that kind of captures, you know, my experience. And then I may ask, how do I feel towards it? You know, and then there's another feeling that comes from that, you know, so I might find an image that represents that. And I pull that into a Word document and let it sit on my desktop for a little while and, you know, and, and kind of see if there's more I need to get to know about it. Yeah, they're, you're inspiring me to, I only do, I only do mapping every once in a while, but to, to bring it in as more of a regular, regular part of my life. I think what I've noticed a lot is parts tend to cluster around certain events, you know, like, you know, like I look at my credit card, you know, and I look at my bank account and I, there's a, there's a clustering of parts that tends to have assigned themselves to that financial issue, you know, or I, I look at my parenting, if there's a parenting, you know, challenge, there's a set of parts that kind of prescribe themselves to, being enrolled as advisors or even leads around my parenting. So parts tend to cluster a bit around life challenges, you know, so if you, you kind of have that uh, trailhead as, you know, Dick talks about it and, and use that trailhead as a, uh, as a, a ping in your system to see who is clustered around that and then see which part of us has assigned themselves to that role. You know, so some parts automatically kind of like I have a part that's assigned itself as making sure I'm never homeless, you know, and uh, that's somehow that that part took on that job. I don't even know where it got that worry, but it, you know, it's like, okay, we are not going to be homeless no matter what, you know, and so it'll emulate some fear in my system around you, you can't pay your bills. And, you know, so knowing that part's what's driving my anxiety um, and then the, what's the fear underneath that. Yeah, that's 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 so true. They cluster around these these bigger topics, bigger events. Yeah. Yeah. Would you be willing to lead us through a little guided hearts meditation just to help listeners start yeah. to connect with parts that are present now? Yeah. So we could. Um, so usually, the way I start a meditation is to invite people to you know, to pull out a pen and paper and, you know, their journal. So to be able to kind of pull that out because we want to be able to capture, we, we do this little inquiry and that thing that we capture is pretty persistent. You know, it's not a, a one-off, it's it's pretty persistent. So to be able to, to really kind of gather that information and track it. So I invite people to get a, a pen and paper together so they can just search out that down. And as we just turn inside we often think of inside as we got to go somewhere deep in our unconscious you know and a lot of these parts we're talking about are really in the the subconscious they're not very far away you know they're often you know on our shoulder whispering in our ear um so we don't have to go very far to to be able to access our internal system it's not that we have to go deep inside often we just have to turn our attention you know, to ourself from the outside world to ourself and begin to, to notice what, you know, what's present right now, you know, and as you kind of make that turn, just a little bit focusing on your own system, there, there are several parts that are accompanying us most of the time. And those are the ones that tend to try to 
see if we're we're valuable or that we um, we have some worth or um, that we're functioning in a way that's um, going to keep us lovable or keep us um, relevant. Um, so if we just kind of turn a bit towards that, um, we can track and see if there's a little fear or anxiety or trepidation or worry. So parts that kind of have us on edge. So we can just kind of notice any type of fear, even if it's just um, small amounts of it. Just noticing kind of how it may be in your system. Does it have a, a sensation or felt sense in your body? Is there a bit of a commentary about what you should be doing or ought to be doing? Or even like a vigilance that you're kind of hyper aware of something that might happen. Or if there's kind of a, a recalling of a story of something that has happened that you want it to be different. Like I should have said this or should not have said that. So as we just turn, we just take a little inventory, like what's present and See if we kind of notice what happened to force anything, like where's our attention? Is it kind of in the past or the future? We can notice if there's a protective quality to any of that way of trying to keep us safe or keep us lovable. making sure that we're not too alone or isolated. Just noticing the protective nature of any of those parts that are there. And just noticing if there's a slowing down, it happens when you notice. Let's slow down a little bit, let's get quieter. As we notice, sometimes our breath can get a little deeper. May even become a little bit more present to the present moment. In the process of befriending, we can maybe just notice that none of those parts mean to cause us trouble. They don't mean to cause us pain or anxiety or they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to prevent something bad from happening or make sure that we're okay in some way. So they don't mean to cause us trouble. So befriending is just sometimes that beginning of recognizing that it's just protective. It's just doing what it learned to do in some way to protect us, not cause us trouble. Even if it's anxiety or even if it's harshness, it, doesn't mean to be causing us trouble, just trying to help us survive. And as we recognize that, sometimes we can soften towards 
those parts, even if they're causing us distress, we can soften towards it. Right now, don't worry about fixing it. We're just kind of doing a little inventory of who's there, who's, who's in our system, who's active. If acknowledging that they're just there to protect, you might get this little spaciousness or calmness that happens. Maybe just a slowing down. And if we hang out here longer, we might begin to hear from our system, like we might hear what the fears are or afraid what happened if they're not doing their job or afraid what happened if the anxiety isn't so strong. We might begin to hear the fears of the parts more. We might kind of be informed by our system, like noticing what's being communicated to us. And that would be, be, be the beginning stages of being able to care for some of our more vulnerable aspects or our protectors is to care for them. And we have to hear them in order to care for them. Sometimes it's a little challenge to get our figuring it out parts to relax so we can hear from them rather than prescribing to them. We have to relax or figure it out parts a bit to just hear from our system. What's, what do they want us to know as we tune into the way that we protect ourselves? Whatever you've noticed is really valuable, even if it's just a little trying to figure it out so hard that you can't hear anything else, but trying to think your way through it. And that's a valuable part to get to know. So whatever you've gotten to know is valuable. And just taking a moment to appreciate any aspects of your system that has presented itself to you in any way. Just noticing it's not too far away. We just have to pause and listen. We don't have to go anywhere deep. Just pause and reflect. When you're ready, you can just come back and take a moment to jot down anything that you noticed. You just took a moment just to pause and tune in for a little bit. So I'm curious, Sarah, if you, you did you have to go very far to find any parts or no, I usually don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's true for most of us I think yeah we use, 
because this idea of going inside and people think they got to go somewhere deep or got to get into a meditative position and light my candles and, you know, and, and yeah. go inside. It, 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 it's not very far. It's not, not far. Yeah. Away. And just a lot are just so on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Especially a lot of these protectors really ride on the surface of our consciousness. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, great. I always find parts meditations to be so helpful. Yeah, I think that's that's probably kind of when I do a little check-in in the mornings, that's probably kind of the version of it is this who's here. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a who's here meditation. Uh, and a little mapping who's here this morning. And so shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, IFS, as you know, is really sweeping the world right now. And yourself as as a lead trainer, I'm sure you're aware of just how hard it is to get into trainings, how therapists and practitioners have waiting lists, full practices. What do you think it is about this model and this time in history that's making it just so incredibly popular. Um, Well, I think it's effective. I think, um, I think that, um, I think people are looking for ways to, um, shift their suffering and um and the repressive ways haven't worked um you know so um i mean they, they work some they help us kind of like label it and i can i can label my neurotic or my erroneous thoughts you know but then what do i do with them um so i think um i think it's given people a way to um to really unburden and release and heal those and so they're not they're not having to develop more elaborate ways to repress. Uh, so it's a non-repressive model. Um, and um, I think I think people are hungry for connection and um, and these these ways of protecting ourselves really breaks down our connection with other people. So I think largely in the pandemic has been um, very hard for people because I think more isolated and less community and and um, and with that breeds a lot of anxiety and depression. So, um, so it's, it's a model that kind of helps us um, relax our protective mechanisms so we can feel more connected uh, to others or the world or community or nature. So I think people are hungry for connection. But I think yeah. it's effective. Um, and, um, and I think um, what, I, what I say when I teach IFS is IFS should really uh, if, a, if a therapist is doing it correctly, the client should feel a greater sense of understanding of themselves. And it should feel, because we, we're hungry to feel seen, understood, and valued. You know, so that that should be taking place. And I hate to use the word should, because, you know, the, it, what, the potential of what could be happening is that we have a greater sense of connection to our own being. And, and we feel seen and understood and, and greater complexities by our whoever's helping us. Um, with that, whether it's our coach or therapist or 
pastor, minister, spiritual director, or even um, a lawyer or, or um, a medical provider. You know, so um, so I think I think people feel that they feel seen, understood in greater ways, and the things that are really unacceptable within ourselves are not pathologized. Um, they're seen as protectors. So if I can go to my therapist and tell them my most shameful aspects of myself and, and have that seen in a way that is um, self-protective uh, rather than um, pathological, uh, uh, it, it builds a, a greater connection and more potential for healing. So there's a lot of elements to it, I think, that people are finding uh, beneficial um, that... Um, have really kind of always been there. They've, they've, they've been there. They've been the components of psychotherapy. They've been components of spiritual direction. We just kind of have a, put them all together in this, this way before. Um, yeah, I agree with you with how, how effective it is. And it's been so transformative for me in my own life, effective and gentle. Mm-hmm. And there can just be really profound healings and shifts with with ease over time yeah yeah and you know some of it is some of it is um you know can be kind of overwhelming a little bit because it when we when we introduce self to our system all these parts of us that want to heal can really kind of rush the gates you know and people can feel flooded a bit because there's, there's there's such a longing in our system to feel seen and cared for that our parts can sort of can rush us a bit in the beginning. So in that sense, it, it the opening for care is um, people can get a little overwhelmed, you know, when they first start, you know. And if we can kind of slow the parts down, reassure them, there's plenty of time for them to be cared for. It, it begins to 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 smooth out a little bit over time. But um, yeah, and just encouraging people to stay with it. Because yeah. also I noticed that some people just want a quick fix. And, you know, sometimes sometimes there's quick shifts and healings. But generally, especially when there's a lot of trauma, it just takes time. And I just I love that mo- the motto at IFS that slow is fast. And yeah. just really needing to just slow down and take our time, be patient. Yeah, I got I got upset by with something a couple weeks ago, and it probably took me, you know, almost seventy two hours to sort out what what was I feeling, what parts were connected to it, what was the need underneath it, you know, and then how how do I communicate that in a self led way? So I you know I kind of on and off kind of set with it at different times and did mapping and, and sort of meditation and just kind of listening to what, what, what was disturbing me inside. So I think that's a normal process. I think, you know, we're not, we're not the kind of supposed to be in bliss all the time. We're supposed to, you know, we have needs and they're going to, they're going to get distressed when they're not, when they're not being met or something is emerging that is developmentally calling us to something greater or bigger. So we're, we're meant to have some distress, you know, and it takes a while to, to be with it, to be informed by it. So, um, so I, I want people to, you know, to, if it's, you know, that's natural. It's not, it's not like I'm going to, I got some Superman self and I, if I get myself, I'm going to be, you know, regulated and blissful all the time. It's a, that's, you know, it's, 
you know, maybe if we live in Hawaii, you know, we don't have any stormy days, but I don't, I haven't, I haven't figured that out yet, you know. But even there, so, there's stormy days. Is there, yeah, there can be big <laughs> storms, right? Can be big, big, yeah. big storms that, that blow in, yeah. So wherever you are, your weather system can have challenges. That's natural and, and meant to be yeah. that way. I think that's important to important to say. Yeah. yeah. So for people who are wanting to learn more or you know, like about your critic camp or trainings that you lead or just IFS, what, what would you recommend or where would you lead them? Um, yeah, I, I have, uh, so I have a new website that's getting developed. My website right now is what I put together myself duct tape and chewing gum. Um, but I've actually hired people to put together one that's more, more operational. So that should be rolling out pretty soon. Um, I have, I've written a book on, um, using IFS in groups. And my, one of my hopes is that people will form more um, what I call healing circles where they can be together and do this work together. So the book is to support um, IFS being done in, in group formats and group settings and to help. Um, and I, I, you know, the point I make is that our, for some reason, our mental health, system, mental health system has leaned so heavily towards individual psychotherapy that we've lost the power of group, you know, and so I'm hoping it'll, it at least nudge our mental health system back towards group a little bit more. And, and, and one of the issues that we do is have, 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 we don't have access. We don't, we don't have enough IFS trained therapists for everybody that wants a therapist, especially we don't have enough people of color that can find a therapist of color. So I'm hoping that it'll provide greater access, but I also think it's the way to, to do therapies in group and community. That's the way we train it. You know, so I think that's actually the way it's meant to be, um, delivered um you know individual there is work that individual therapy is absolutely the way you should go but there's a lot of this work we can do in community groups um so uh so my website it's uh burriscounseling.com and it should be rolling out pretty soon the book my um my wonderful editor and uh, my wife's been my editor for uh, the finishing this the book and um but my uh, publisher um ben allen at um uh, tonic books is um, working on the final um, uh, elements of the book, so hopefully it should be out. In, we're hoping to roll out in June or August. <laughs> oh, great! I'm looking but, forward to, the, to this book. Yeah. yeah so, um, so yeah, the, my website, um, Critic Camps, will be advertised on the website. I've got a number of those coming up next year, and also one on um, IFS and um, and befriending our emotions in IFS. So. Uh, for people that um, haven't been able to access a level one yet. So um, we're, we're hoping we're training therapists as, or trainers as fast as we can. So we're hoping to offer more trainings for people that want them. Great. And Chris, in your own life work, just in general, um, what is your, what's your current growing edge? Um. My, I think my, the, the two things that I, coming back to one, um, so I'm really interested in um, shadow work and um, what I call about people that are living with moral injuries. Um, it's kind of what um, people do in a, in a four step of, um, of AA or 12 steps. So I'm really interested in, um, in shadow work and some of that is uh, anti-racism um, uh, um, working with uh, white privilege and um, 
um, white supremacy culture kinds of issues, but also just the ways that we uh, carry moral injury, um, you know, from um, our parts that uh, were acted out in some way uh, that injured other people. So uh, that's a lot of where my interest is, is in, you know, kind of really working on those shadow aspects of our being and, and, um, and befriending those and healing those places so that we um, we're more compassionate, more connected, and just kind of better human beings. So important work. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for just taking the time to be with us today and sharing all that, all that you have. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. It was a lot of fun to be with you and uh, hope this is um, helpful to put folks on their journey and, and to be able to see people in person one day. So yes. <laughs> get back to that. Thank you for being here today. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be very grateful if you could take a moment to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. That is the best way to support me in continuing on with this podcast and also to support other women in finding this, other women who may find this beneficial for their own lives. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And if you're not already signed up for my newsletter, Monthly Insights, which I've been sending out now for almost 20 years, I welcome you to join me and a community of like-hearted women from around the world there. You can subscribe at my website, sarahavonstover.com. Until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.